America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day as we look forward, finally, 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 to the end of the midterm cycle in uh, this election season with the runoff between Herschel Walker, the Republican nominee, and the Democratic nominee, Pastor Raphael Warnock. Uh, what does that race in Georgia mean? And what does that mean, particularly at this moment when all of a sudden Georgia just got a uh, very, very big bump ahead? The Democrats have voted to change their primary schedule and to make uh, Georgia one of the very first states. To talk about all of that, somebody who is a good friend, who has been on the road uh, with Herschel Walker campaigning for him in Georgia, Ralph Reed, who is the founder of the Evangelical Christian Faith and Freedom Coalition, to which I've had the great honor of speaking on many occasions. He's also a past chair of the Georgia Republican uh, Party. Uh, Ralph, first of all, what does it feel like out there on the road campaigning with Herschel Walker, who has been subject to some of the nastiest attacks in recent American political history? Yeah. How's he handling that? You know he's uh, he's a gamer, uh, Michael. He's a he's a tough cookie, and um, I don't know how many candidates could have taken the hits that he's taken in this campaign and keep going. But uh, Herschel is very resilient. Um, it's all it's done is make him stronger. He's a he's a deeply committed man of faith, and he's running for the right reasons because he loves this country and he loves the people of Georgia. And he's doing great. And there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement. Uh, I'm talking to you from Tifton, Georgia, right now in South Georgia. We're on our way to Valdosta. Uh, we've been traveling throughout middle and South Georgia today and uh, had a big rally last night with Lindsey Graham uh, and a number of other surrogates in Cherokee County, which is on the north side of Atlanta. And, and Michael, these runoffs, uh, they're a turnout game. Uh, there were approximately 4 million votes cast in November. Uh, these two candidates were separated by 37,000 votes out of a little under 4 million, which is less than 1%. Uh, it was decided by less than 1% in November. It'll be decided by 1% or less next Tuesday. Uh, the Democrats have opened up a little bit of a lead in the early vote, which is fully expected. They vote early. We tend to vote on Election Day. Uh, but this race is too close to call, and it's going to be a it's going to be a cliffhanger and a nail biter. Uh, what do you think, um, as a Georgian and someone who's about past chair of the Georgia Republican Party, about the other side uh, basically knocking Iowa out as a an early primary or caucus state? As people remember, the Iowa caucuses were a bit of a mess for Democrats the last time they were held. But uh, uh, what what's the impact on the country? What will the impact be on Georgia that the Democrats are now moving uh, Georgia right into that uh, parade together with New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina is now going to have the first primary in the country, the role that Iowa used to 
play. What does all that mean? Well, I mean, look, I'm I'm always happy to see Georgia getting, you know, that kind of attention. But I think ultimately what they've done to the calendar at the behest of the Biden White House is is not a good development, Michael. I mean, I've worked on 11 presidential campaigns. I was actually in Iowa the night of the Democratic uh, and Republican caucuses uh, in February of uh, 2020, and it was a complete debacle. Uh, I don't exactly know what happened, but they had adopted some kind of software and hardware solution or system for tabulating their votes. And to this day, I don't think we've ever gotten the results. It was a complete uh, unmitigated disaster. And uh, in the end, I think Pete Buttigieg won. So what happened is the Biden White House uh, punished a rural Midwestern state because of a mistake by the state party. It's a state, Michael, where you can go around and really meet people and get to know people. It's not, you know, it's a grassroots phenomenon, the Iowa caucuses. Uh, So they got rid of that. They were punished. And then New Hampshire lost its first in the nation status, which it's had really since the rise of the modern primary after World War II. And they moved South Carolina up, I, I guess, because South Carolina delivered the nomination to Joe Biden. So, look, that's the Democratic Party. They've got a right to do whatever they like. But I like the idea of the process beginning with two small states where you can really get to know voters in small settings and hear directly from the voters, not just by television ads. I think one in the Midwest and one in the Northeast, I think that was a a good system. It's not a perfect system, but I thought it was better than what they're doing. Well, now they're they're putting uh, forward Michigan in that, that early slot of primaries, and they're having... Nevada and New Hampshire are going to be on the same day, but after South Carolina. And what the Biden White House has said is that we're doing this because we want to recognize the importance of uh, black voters to the Democratic majority that they hope to build. You think that's an acknowledgement that the tremendous success of efforts including very much yours and that of the faith and freedom coalition to uh, mobilize uh, black voters with a more conservative point of view well i think so and i also think it's an acknowledgement of the success that we've had in mobilizing evangelical voters of of all colors and ethnic backgrounds because frankly if you look at where iowa was you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago before I founded Faith and Freedom Coalition. And by the way, Iowa is one of our strongest organizations in the nation. Um, We knock on 250 to 350,000 doors per cycle. We put over a million voter guides in churches. We have a very strong network there. And not just us, there are other other many good pro-life and pro-family organizations. And what's happened, uh, Michael, and part of the development was the Trump MAGA movement. It wasn't just us, although we were a big part of it, is Iowa's gone from being a battleground state to really it's off the table for the Democrats. I mean, I'm I'm doing this from memory, so don't hold me to the number. But I think I think Trump won it by seven, eight, nine percent in 2016. And I'm pretty sure it was nine points. Yeah. Yeah. And then won it by a similar amount in 2020. And. You know, they just made a real run. They made this big deal out of the fact that they were running, making a real run at Chuck Grassley, and there was a 
Des Moines Register poll, you may remember, that came out a few weeks before the election that showed that Grassley was within three points of his Democratic opponent. He won by 12. Governor Kim Reynolds won by, I think, 16 or 17 or 18 percent. And we picked up, I believe, two battleground congressional seats. So they're, they're pretty much done in Iowa. And I think they largely acknowledge that. And I think the real tragedy here, Michael, you know, look, I'm a I'm personally a Republican, but before I'm a member of any party, I'm a Christian. And I would like to see both political parties making an effort to reach voters of faith. And in too many instances, I think the Democrats have become hostile to the values and the beliefs of people of faith. Yeah, but they're going to have a tough time with that in South Carolina, aren't they? I mean, that's one of the reasons that I take this as good news, is that Democrats in South Carolina, one thing that is true of that state, both Democrats and Republicans, tend to be serious Christians, no? Yeah, and look, I may stand corrected on this. I'm doing this from memory, but I've worked a lot of campaigns in South Carolina. It's obviously a bordering state. And uh, I know it quite well. I don't think they've elected a statewide Democrat in South Carolina since 1998. So this is odd to me that they're writing off so many voters of faith. Well, again, uh, it'll be tougher to do with this uh, order that has just been delivered. Ralph Reed, Godspeed to you. And uh, I'm sure you will be... I hope you have reason to celebrate uh, coming up on Tuesday night. Concerning the runoff election that is coming up in Georgia that will decide whether the Republicans have 49 U.S. senators in uh, the Capitol building or whether they have 50 U.S. senators in the Capitol building, that's uh, what the choice amounts to. A reporter asked President Biden today about why he has not uh, joined uh, President Obama who uh, has actually been down there. He was in Georgia last night campaigning for uh, Raphael Warnock. The reporter asked Biden, uh, how come you're not going to Georgia to help with Senator Warnock? Here's the answer, clip 13. Why are you going to Georgia to help Senator Warnock? I'm going to Georgia today to help Senator Warnock, not to Georgia. I'm going to help Senator Warnock because I'm doing a major fundraiser up in Boston today for for, for the... uh, our next and continued Senate candidate, Senator. Um, a little bit, a little bit confused. <laughs> there he is going up to Boston, not for Senator Warnock, but for Senator Warren. Though I believe the funds are supposed to be that he's raising up in Boston, where he's also meeting with the uh, Prince uh, William and Kate uh, of the royal family, but. Uh, Again, it's 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 one of those things where, when you look at the race in uh, in Georgia, one of the things is very different, and this is a point that Ralph Reed had made before: is it's very different from the last time when there was a runoff in Georgia. And remember, that was for two Senate seats because there was that unfilled, unfinished uh, Senate term by Johnny Isaacson, who was leaving because of ill health. 
So there were two different Senate seats in Georgia, and it was the winning of both those Senate seats in the runoff that gave the Democrats their um, control of the U.S. Senate, their 50 seats. Otherwise, if even one of those Democrats had lost of the two, uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, uh, Mitch McConnell would have stayed as majority leader. And uh, it would have been a little bit of different history. But um, in any event, this time, apparently, the uh, party is united. Last time out, President Trump spent a lot of time uh, attacking, uh, and this is right before the runoff. He, he was attacking Governor Brian Kemp. He was attacking the Republicans for not, quote, resisting. Uh, the stolen election narrative that he was already advancing because the runoff last time was in January. This time it's in December, it's Tuesday, and we shall see. Scheduling is very much on the minds of the Democratic National Committee on Rules and Bylaws, which approved uh, today, just uh, an hour ago, approved uh, Joe Biden's proposal to upend a, a calendar that historically starts with Iowa's caucuses uh, to recognize the party's most reliable base, black voters. The way it has been since Jimmy Carter ran for president in 1976 is Jimmy Carter was the first president to actually um, make use of the Iowa caucuses and one of the reasons that he apparently did so well in the Iowa caucuses and put his campaign uh, on on the road to winning the nomination is because he was the first uh, openly very outspokenly Democratic nominee for president to uh, be a, a, a born-again Christian and that was big news in the Carter era and the the complaint that uh, Democrats have had about Iowa and about New Hampshire is that they don't represent uh, black voters who are such an important part of the Democratic base because both are overwhelmingly white states. And Biden sent out a letter today uh, ahead of the meeting and urged Democrats to give black voters a louder and earlier voice in the primary by elevating heavily African-American South Carolina, a state that was crucial to his 2020 presidential nomination. The one thing about making South Carolina first is that it's emphatically not a Democratic state. As uh, Ralph Reed pointed out, it hasn't uh, basically... Uh, South Carolina covered, carried for a Democratic candidate for president for a very long time. In fact, gosh, I, I, President Clinton didn't carry the state ever. Uh, president uh, uh, and uh, the uh, President uh, Bush did emphatically, and both Presidents Bush. So the idea that they're moving the Democratic primary, first in the nation primary to South Carolina, I think it's unlikely that the, that the Republicans are going to follow suit because the advantage is that if you actually play in a primary season, you're getting a little bit of a head start in, um, in some crucial swing states. This is the way that the calendar is going to look. And... Look, for 
political nerds, <laughs> this is this is a, a, a big deal. It is as President Biden once famously said about uh, the Obamacare bill. It's a big blanking deal. Uh, the. The 2024 calendar approved by the committee begins with South Carolina. They will be voting on February 3rd, followed three days later by both New Hampshire and Nevada. And then uh, Georgia on February 20th and Michigan on February 27th. And... uh, uh, that's uh, a a very different uh, look at, um, at at what can happen. But part of the big losers here, it seems to me, are uh, uh, people up on the left in the party. Because one of the things about Iowa, which has been bounced from the opening rounds of primaries or caucuses altogether... One of the things about Iowa is because they are caucuses where you actually have to show up. There's no voting by mail. Uh, In in Iowa, the the idea uh, always was you have to be there. You have to sit at a caucus. So it goes to the most committed people. And the most committed people in the Democratic Party are people on the far left of the party which is why there were energy I mean, Barack Obama ended up winning the Iowa caucuses to the shock of everybody but that was because he was perceived as somebody who was running to the left of Hillary Clinton back in uh, 2008 when he won the nomination so right now there it will be accomplished by the Democrats at least part of uh, I think what a party instinctively does to uh, try to win in the future and build itself, which is to move more to the middle. Uh, Will Republicans change the order that uh, we vote in uh, the primary? I don't think that is likely. But uh, we should be able, at least, to call out some of the truly memorable lies that were told this year by all sides and even some foreign governments. We'll get to the Lie of the Year Award coming up. Your daily dose of debate. Give me more. The Michael... And on the uh, Michael Medved show, there's a movie some years back called Lies and Whispers. And (laughs) actually, American politics recently has been lies and shouts. Uh, And uh, that's why it's a good thing that we have PolitiFact, which offers its Lie of the Year award. Uh, Most of the... um, people in this finals, the lies in this finals, and they have uh, eight different lies that they have nominated. And uh, then there's a ninth lie for uh, ability for write-in votes to make a nomination. And by the way, if you want to make a nomination uh, on the telephone, you can, 1-800-955-1776. Speaking to Katie Sanders, who's the managing editor of PolitiFact at the Pointer Institute for Media Studies. She oversees PolitiFact's nonprofit fact-checking newsroom 
and its Pulitzer Prize-winning website. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for asking me to come on the show. I appreciate it. Well, well it's terrific. I mean, you, you, you've actually targeted some uh, absolutely terrific lies um, that are... <laughs> that are actually funny, the fact that, that people would believe them, and some of them are tragic uh, almost in there. Was, there. was this a 22? Was this a good year compared to 2020 and 2021? Was this a big year for lying? That's an interesting question. I think it's hard to say it was worse off for the truth than previous years, but I I do think I can say it was an election year, so it wasn't a lot better. <laughs> um, you know, you have to think back to 2020, and we had this massive change in our world. And we had COVID um, denial was rampant, and we also had a presidential election that was quite contentious. So that was not a great year for the truth. And um, that year we settled on naming COVID downplaying denial our shared lie of the year. And then people still believe it, though. Oh, people, there, there, there are people out there who believe the whole COVID thing was a fraud, that it was some kind of conspiracy, that those one million people, I guess, who died in our country of COVID didn't really die. You know what? And that was just about the disease itself. And we do see that skepticism um, persist, even if it's not the subject of the you know cable talk shows and um, the attitude from the administration toward COVID is, is quite different than it was in 2020. Um, but you know, I think a big trend we've seen uh, on the COVID front was about vaccines, and there were a few claims you were considering about COVID vaccines that were very popular on our website, but just didn't. I, I guess. Um, I guess it's a good thing. They didn't seem to crack the mainstream the way some of these other claims on the list did. So we didn't put them on our ballot of eight here. Um, but that's, that's certainly been a trend we've been watching. Okay, COVID. so in that ballot of eight, one of mm -hmm. my favorites, and again, I've gotten calls and emails about it, and uh, partially because of the good work of PolitiFact, I know that it's not true. Uh, nominee number eight among your lies is... Uh, the very common uh, posting on Facebook and elsewhere saying that schools across the country are putting litter boxes in bathrooms to accommodate kids who identify as animals and call themselves furries. Uh, where did this start? You know, somehow I knew that you were going to say that one. And so I'll be very honest. We've been covering it off and on all year long. I think our first story about it um, was in April of 2022. And, you know, we cover a lot of conspiracy theories and hoaxes online. And I think at the time it struck us as more of the same. You know, this was easily disproven. We saw it creep up um, across a number of states. I think at the time there were school districts in Iowa, Michigan, and Nebraska that um, were debunking claims actively that they were providing litter boxes. Um, I'm just... I honestly think there's a lot more investigation that needs to be done on this one, which makes it a good candidate, because I keep hearing about it from people like you who are just like, I've heard this and I've had to do my own fact checking and tell people it's not true. But it's a very persistent myth. So I, I can't I can't I have to be honest. I've just seen it um, per 
pop up in a lot of different states and school districts. I'm not sure exactly where it began, but we've certainly noticed it all over. When you, working as an editor, you pick out a lie to expose and uh, to refute. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you try to make sure that it's a balanced process so that you won't be accused of leaning all the way to the left or you won't be accused of leaning all the way to the right? Do you try to balance Mm -hmm. the origin of the lies that you go after? We do. I think that we do try to balance it, but you know, we, we, it's also important to note that we're looking for lies, um, you know, that are really significant, that really had staying power, that speak to broader themes of the year. And we can't really control which side that falls. Um, you know what I'm saying? We try to, we, we try to pay equal attention to what both sides of the political spectrum are saying, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a, a perfect 50-50 split if it's just not there. Well, you have a you have a line from Joe Biden among your nominees for 2022, mm-hmm. where President Biden said, on my watch for the first time in 10 years, seniors are getting an increase in their Social Security checks. Uh, it's kind of funny when you think that most seniors do get Social Security checks and they may notice that they've gotten previous increases right and for him to say it hadn't been happening and you know insinuating that it was something that happened as a result of his own action when it's due to a law that's decades old and you know a formula for cost of living adjustments we found out that particularly brazen that's why we gave it a pants on fire we've rated many other statements by joe biden over the year false but um, they didn't make the ballot because they weren't as they, they weren't as brazen, they weren't as memorable, right? So that's why this one made it from Joe Biden over the others that we covered over the year. Uh, with very prominent political figures like President Trump or President Biden, uh, do people ever respond to PolitiFact uh, and say, you know what, you got me, I made a mistake here, I was wrong. You ever, you ever hear any acknowledgement of that? I mean, I'm thinking of uh, uh, President Trump saying that President Barack Hussein Obama kept 33 million pages of documents, much of them classified. How many of them pertain to nuclear? Word is lots. Uh, this is just, this is kind of made up of whole cloth. Has President Trump acknowledged that? No, no, I, I don't think he's, you know, I think he's aware of fact-checking and fact-checkers. I've heard him kind of allude to Pinocchio's, which is a system brought by, um, tried out by the Washington Post fact-checker. Um, I, I don't think he's referred to, you know, pants on fire and politifact in the same way. I, and I think it's not his style to kind of change his talking point. He tends to cling to the talking points that he likes and just keep repeating it. Um, no matter how many times it's been fact-checked by us and our colleagues at other outlets. And I've, I've, we've heard him say the Obama line um, in defense of his own handling of classified material and White House documents. It's come up again and again, and he's since made other statements that we could have put on the ballot about what was going on with George H.W. Bush. You know, he talked about a Chinese restaurant in a bowling alley in a way that was very out of context. Um, he's been deflecting a lot on this issue, right? So. Um, we haven't covered uh, the former president um, you know, nearly as much uh, in the years since he's been out of office. But there are two statements of his on, on this year's 
readers choice poll because they were they were frankly very memorable and they spoke to huge news events the other one being trump's conspiracy theories about the attack on paul pelosi which is amazing uh, look, this is important work, and, and you can vote on this ballot. The ballot's posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. Katie Sanders, the managing editor at PolitiFact, who is going to be counting the votes, and I'm sure that Carrie Lake will demand a recount, uh, that counting the votes as these votes come in on the two 2022 lie of the year. We'll be right back. Well, it's autumn, and if you're going to go out and look at some of the great colors of the leaves and enjoy the season, well, you get more. Medved show. Uh, speaking of lies of the year, there are lies, there are exaggerations, uh, there are sometimes simply mistakes that people make when they say things that are not, not true, but they don't even recognize they're not true. Uh, I think Hillary Clinton knows that um, there isn't really much of a comparison between the Taliban and uh, people who are on the pro-life side of the abortion regulation debate here in the United States. Uh, here is uh, uh, the former Secretary of State, former U.S. Senator, former First Lady, speaking uh, on PBS about uh, oppressive tendencies that she perceives in all of the above villains. Listen. We have come a long way since I made that statement back in 1995 on so many fronts, but we are also in a period of time where there is a lot of pushback and much of the progress that has been, I think, taken for granted by too many people uh, is under attack, literally under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine, where rape is a tactic of war, or under attack by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's uh, health care and uh, bodily autonomy. You're hosting this conference. Talk to me about the, the confluence of both these events, this pushback on American women's rights at the same time as you're trying to figure a way forward. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, again, it, the, the idea that there is an international attack on women's rights, and uh, part of it has to do with uh, the, the notion that uh, states will be able to have different regulations about abortion. The one thing about the hysteria that this is generated uh, and it's, it's sometimes it's hysterical on both sides though not so much right now on the uh, pro-life side and the reason that it, it hasn't been as uh, hysterical on pro-life side is because the Supreme Court made a decision to turn over these decisions to where 
they belong. And I'm not talking about a decision, an individual decision, whether a uh, child is going to be aborted or not. I'm talking about the decision on how you regulate this this procedure of abortion. Everyone agrees. The, uh, the idea that there should be restrictions on abortions in the last trimester and certainly in the last weeks of pregnancy is virtually unanimous in the country. So everyone agrees that it should be regulated to some extent abortion because it's not just like uh, removing a hangnail. I mean, there, there's something more here. And uh, yes, there is, as people point out, a beating heart. And the notion that uh, 95% of uh, abortions that are performed in the United States, and this is according to Planned Parenthood's own statistics, are, uh, are actually abortions, or sometimes they are what are called medical abortions, uh, that are done through uh, pills that are taken, but it's all during the first trimester. And that actually follows what most Americans believe. Most Americans believe that abortion should be available in the first trimester, but not in the last trimester. And there's actually a majority who also wants to regulate abortions and to ban them basically in the second trimester. And the notion that this kind of debate that has been instituted because of the Dobbs case, uh, that it, it is puts people in position of being like the horribly oppressive, nightmarish medieval regimes in uh, the Taliban installed in Afghanistan and that they currently have the Ayatollahs uh, installed in Iran is just out of the question. And uh, there are all kinds of pleas for fairness. Uh, Is it fair for Kanye West... (laughs) for Ye to uh, be banned from uh, Twitter. Uh, and and by the way, this is not because what he said on the Alex Jones show, but it was because of his follow-up. He'd put as a follow-up for the Alex Jones show a great big swastika on his website, which was enclosed within a Star of David, which is basically his uh, view that uh, uh, Jews are Nazis. And uh, just some of the flavor of what he said when he was on with Alex Jones, and Jim Garrity made the right point, is that Jones seemed to be really relishing this interview because he had the rare opportunity of being a reasonable part of the discussion compared to Kanye. This is clip three from yesterday's epic interview. Listen. I've said it, the most Nazi-like activities I've seen, um, and and the Nazis, in my view, were thugs that shook people down to a lot of really bad things. But they did good things, too. We're going to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. Okay. We're going to get to that. Okay. And then he uh, also talked about how Hitler had something good to bring to the table. Listen, clip 14. Clip 4. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I I see I I see good things about Hitler. Also, the Jew I love everyone, and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can love, um, you know, us 
and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts and you can love what we're you know what we're pushing with the pornography but this guy that invented highways invented the very microphone that i use as a musician you can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good and i'm done with that i'm done with the classifications every human being has something of value that they brought to the table especially hitler especially hitler and what's incredible about this is I have been waiting for somebody to step forward and to defend Kanye with any of this because it is completely indefensible. This is completely indefensible. And Caitlyn Jenner, uh, yes, he's a Republican and he was at one point a candidate for high office for governor of California as a Republican, but uh, not a nominee. But here's what Caitlyn Jenner had to say, clip 14. I've known, obviously, Kanye for a long time. Um, he's always been very, very good to me. Um, and I just wish him well. I, I just, I want Kanye to do Have you talked to him? Well. Um, uh, not in the last few months, mm -hmm. especially in all this stuff has come out. I have not talked to him. But uh, I just wish him the best. Um, you know, he's, he's got challenges, and uh, I, I just hope him the best. Yeah. He's always been very good. He's, such, he's a really nice guy when I've been around him my whole life, or for the last 10 years. And uh, uh, I just wish him well. Okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you wonder about that and the inability to acknowledge that what he is saying is completely sick. And, and warped and it would be equally warped if someone was basically saying about oh uh, Jefferson Davis if you want well uh, look at him he he brought and, and to compare Jefferson Davis to Hitler is unfair to Jefferson Davis I mean if somebody said such a thing about uh, uh, Joseph Stalin or any of the great murderers in history the idea that uh, we we actually need to give Hitler credit and for inventing the microphone and for inventing the highways. He didn't invent the highways. And that, by the way, yes, the Germans were ahead in building the Autobahn. But the, uh, the notion that, um, it, it, again, if you take this to slavery, and if you imagine someone treating slavery as casually and dismissively as Kanye West has decided, and again and again and again, to treat the Holocaust and the murder of six million human beings, and then if you include, by the way, the Christians that the Nazis murdered, and uh, there are three million uh, Polish Catholics who were killed in World War II, and Catholic civilians. Uh, the the idea that all of this goes on, and uh, uh, Kanye wants us to see the bright side. Uh, can we get some perspective other than he's really a nice guy, and I feel sorry for him in this greatest nation on God's green earth?